Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Everybody and welcome to another edition of Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host, Keely Orr, joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about. we got to break down USC's 42-28 loss to Stanford in the Coliseum. USC was favored by 17 points coming into the game and leaves with a loss. So we'll break it down and share our thoughts and also talk about what we heard from head coach Clay Helton in his Sunday night press conference. Uh, and we'll talk about the season outlook. Where does USC go from here now that they sit one and one on the season? As always, you can tweet at us, hashtag TunnelVision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. You can also call us, 5124Tunnel. Our intern, Micah, is standing by. Just a disclaimer, we know you guys are frustrated. We're yes. not going to take rant calls. We just want real questions for us today. Uh, you can always leave your rant voicemails to the podcast line. That's that's kind of the avenue you should take. But questions today. Yeah, I did a lot of those last in. night, the yeah. emergency one. You guys left me 43 voice. <laughs> Voicemails last night. Yeah. So, so basically, send Ryan more voicemails. Well. Yeah, we don't need more of those. I did. Go listen to the Emergency Parastyle podcast. Go check that out. So there's, I play 20 voicemails from you guys on yeah. there. All of them, one one UCLA fan that was happy with the head coaching situation at USC, but everyone else was upset. So you can listen to all of those. Hopefully, you guys like it. Yeah, but wherever you're watching Periscope, YouTube, or Facebook Live, put your comments, questions, concerns. We'll do our best to answer them for you guys. We love hearing from you guys. So be sure to do that. Guys, like I said, this is an interesting one. Ryan, you uh, now infamously said that Stanford was, quote-unquote, not good. You can use the term that you used. Do you still stand by that at that point? Yeah. You expect this to be a big USC win, and here we are talking about a loss. I know. Um, yeah, I did expect. Like, I picked USC to cover the spread. Everyone except Keeley picked uh, USC to cover the spread. Um, that didn't happen. And so, yes, what did I say? I said Stanford was butt. So I do the podcast of champions, both David Woods and I feel like Stanford is on the downward, uh, you know, on the decline. And, you know, talking to RJ Abadia, who does a great job with us, uh, he used to publish the bootleg, which is the big Stanford uh, website. You know, he knows the Stanford program very, very well. You could see when we were in the tunnel last night, he knew people, uh, you know, from the Stanford side. And, you know, I asked him point blank while you were sitting there, Keely, like, is Stanford good? And he's like, no, like they, this, this is not a good Stanford team. They were blown out by Kansas State. 
Kansas State went out and played Southern Illinois yesterday and won by eight. You know, so it's not like that Kansas State is this world beater type of team. Stanford had USC's number yesterday for sure. I think it's more concerning because I don't feel like Stanford's going to be a contender in the North. I don't think that they're a powerhouse. It's good that you had Tanner McKee come in there and just play the whole game instead of swapping out with Jack West. But at the end of the day, when you look at Stanford at the end of the season, I just don't think they're going to be very good. And USC got blown out. They were a 17-point favorite and were down by 29 in the fourth quarter. Like that's an even a, a great team, you don't want to see something like that. So, yes, I don't think Stanford is a very good team. It's very concerning to see how poorly USC played in all phases where special teams were below average in week 1. I'm going to give Sean Snyder the benefit of the doubt. They were below average again yesterday in my opinion. The defense played great. I mean, I gave them credit for a shutout in week 1 against I think is a pretty good San Jose State team. I mean, they came out and played terrible uh, yesterday, and USC just couldn't get out of their own way. And I, you know, I asked Clay Hilton about this on the uh, conference call today we had with him just a little bit ago, listening to the radio broadcast. Jordan Moore, I think he described it well. If you watch Stanford play, there was easy plays. It looked like things were high percentage. And when you watch USC play, it looked like everything was a struggle, like just trying to complete a five-yard pass. I mean, again, two weeks in a row, you saw USC complete two passes in a series and still go three and out. And, you know, for this offense, like that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It was Gary Bryant. I think caught two passes on one series and it still wasn't enough for a first down. They did that to Drake London in week one. Just everything seemed like it's a struggle to gain some yardage. You're not seeing the wide open receiver. And I, I don't want to hear this being an air raid because it's not. It doesn't look like an air raid to me at all. You're not getting people schemed open, and that's a huge problem. You have to make things easier, and USC isn't. And Stanford, I think, took advantage of that. They they just they had a great game plan. I still don't think it's a very good Stanford team, but they knew what USC was doing, and they just beat them to the punch in every aspect, all three phases of the game. Mm -hmm. I talked to Graham Harrell after the game, and he said that Stanford uh, didn't show them any surprises. This is what they expected from the Stanford team. How does that happen, Ryan, in year three of this offense? I mean, it seems like you should have that pretty much figured out. We kept hearing that the same phrase we've heard in the Clay Helton era is we just need to execute. We need to execute better. Yeah. Why is that the the continuous answer we hear? I think when if you remember like the gumbo offense and you know, when when things were bad in 2018 and 19 and things were just terrible, you're like, oh, gotta execute, gotta execute. I think at that point you have to as a coaching staff, you guys are the ones that are getting paid money to coach these student athletes. It's not like, well, I told them to do this and they didn't do it. They didn't execute. Like basically I told them what to do and they didn't do it. Like they were supposed to do this and they didn't. At some point you have to say, well, you're probably telling them the wrong thing. You need to be able to put the, your 19, 20 year old kid uh, that's under your watch into a great position to have some sort of success. And that's not what the coaching staff has been doing. And what I liked about bringing in Graham Harrell was they needed a system. They needed someone, some kind of guru that knows this offense. When you saw like Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian, they were kind of taking pieces of other things. And, uh, you know, Clay Helton, it's just no one came in as like, I I'm a guru of whatever offense it is. I don't care if it's a wing tee, the air raid, the, the run and shoot, whatever it is, be a guru of that. And I felt like Graham Harrell was going to be an air raid guru, but then he comes in and you're like, well, it's not really air raid. But we saw, you know, Keaton Slowis, you know, two years ago, throwing for 400 yards a game. They used their, you know, their wide receivers. You guys, Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vons and Michael Pittman, whoever, you were using all these guys. Now it looks like they're trying to do something different. Like, well, we're not going to do that. 
And I don't feel like he's a guru of that. It's like now it looks like an offense that's just clunky again. It looks grab baggy again. It looks just like they're trying to, well, we need to do a little bit of this and we need to do a little bit of that. That's not what you're going to do if you're going to be successful. So I feel like they've regressed offensively schematically. It just, I don't know what the offense is. We thought it was going to be an air raid, which is, I know USC fans didn't want to see that, but at least you have an identity. This is now an identity-less offense, and I just don't know the direction they're trying to go with it. It's just, it's not making sense. It's clunky and it's not working. Yeah, Shotgun, you were on the sideline for the game. What was your observations of this offense? I mean, I said the last time on this analysis, this is an execution-based offense, and they can't execute. That tells you that the offense can't do what they're supposed to do. There's, uh, you know, rewatching the game, and you know, I've only made it through part of the first half, but you're seeing, you know, Keaton Slovis moving the running back. You're seeing, you know, they get a, a delay a game penalty during that play. Drake London is yelling across the formation because Michael Trey's not lined up correctly. Um, the, these are the things. The, if you're going to be an execution-based offense, you got to at least execute before the snap. <laughs> And they're not even doing that. So, yeah. you know, there's too many times where there's, you know, the veterans on the team are moving guys around. The young guys just haven't picked up all the things in the offense. If it's supposed to be so simple, why are they having yeah. so many issues before the snap? Um, why are you having issues with that? And then it felt like at times that Stanford knew what was coming, uh, whether, you know, there was something that they picked up on film where someone is, is giving away a play or if they knew USC's calls. I don't, I don't know what exactly it was, but there were times when it seemed like they were, you know, expecting plays. Um, so you're not getting, you know, if the, if the playbook is, you know, as simple as Graham Harrell has said in the past, and then what do you have to do different? Do you have to bring in more plays? Well, it, can you do that with how they're struggling to get this simple, the simple plays down? So uh, I think there's some issues there. I don't know why that stuff wasn't, and maybe it's just, there's been so many new faces this, this fall that you're still trying to figure out things. I know, talked to Gary Bryan after the game, and he told me that they're still trying to get on the same page with Keaton Slovis, and you saw that with some of those balls off the hands, off the fingertips. There's, I don't know if it's just the changing pieces, and maybe that'll progressively get better, but it's attention to detail. It's small things, and that's the thing you'd say about this entire program. Attention to detail is not there. There's just small things. You go, well, if they fix this, that w- this part would be better. If they fix this, this w-. but there's a lot of those Need things that need to be fixed. Yeah. I, I, the feeling I get is it's sort of like, okay, you know USC has athletes, but as it's schematically, uh, oppo- opponents will come into the game going, okay, we're not really sure what they're going to do. I they feel like it's like you're playing a, you know, a basketball pickup game and this guy's a pretty big athlete and he's got like one post move. You're like, I know what he's going to do. <laughs> He might get me, though. You know, like he's a big, strong athlete. He might get around me. But I'm not worried that he's going to fake it and go the other way. And I feel like that's where USC is. Like, do USC's athletes go out and make the play or not? Because it's not like, oh, they're going to do something we didn't expect and, oh, this guy's wide open. So it just feels like you know what they're going to do, but their athletes are better than yours. So they still might get you, but they might not, if if that makes sense. Well, in that sense, USC has failed to, to score a touchdown in the third quarter. That's something that's plagued the team in past seasons as well. What does that say about the adjustments their opponents make versus what USC's offense, their adjustments they make? I think Adam Grossbart pointed that out. Seven of the last eight games, not a single touchdown in the third quarter. And it was funny, you know, he asked Clay Helton that in the press conference after the game. And uh, I don't think Clay Helton was aware of that, but he was talking about the adjustments that that Graham Harrell makes and that he makes them after every drive, not just at halftime. And I mean, it just didn't, 
it didn't jive with what the reality is. Like, well, whatever you're doing at halftime doesn't appear to be working because the next 15 minutes of game time, you don't score a touchdown. So it just, I don't know, that didn't make any sense to me. Is that surprising to you? There's a lot of things that Clay Helton has said, especially after losses, that just don't jive with what you're seeing on the field. Um, you know, you asked him uh, a question today and never really got a response. Like, what did the coaches need to do better? He said, well, they had a good game plan. They, they felt they had an effective game plan coming in. And they said that they thought that they had their best week of practice coming in. Chris Steele said a little bit different yeah. um, after the game. So, you know, what he's saying and what we're seeing aren't aligning. And, you know, that's been a common theme, especially after losses. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, on the other side of the ball, the defense was something we felt confident about coming out of fall camp, looking at how they played against San, San Jose State. What happened on Saturday? That's a good question. I will. I don't need to back off my Stanford statements. I'll wait a few weeks and see. I think you're going to see like, wow, they're, they really aren't that good. I feel like <laughs> pretty confident in that. I was really confident in the defense. And uh, I don't know. I, I mean, this is one of those things. Is this an anomaly? Um, I mean, Stanford came out and punched USC in the mouth. And the secondary that played extremely well uh, in the opener against San Jose State, I mean, there was five penalties on the secondary alone. And they've just, you know, blown coverage. I mean, there was, there was a lot of problems uh, there and then the pass rush that we talked about in week one, where you felt like you know I asked Clay Helton about this and I you know he said that you know they actually did get pressure on uh, Nick Starkle and so even though you didn't get a sack, they were affecting his accuracy and I, I took him and you know, like yeah that made sense to me but I don't think that, that was the that case. was true yeah that was true but for for McKee like it wasn't the case like he was he had a lot of more time and the pressure you know to get no sacks two weeks in a row on a on a defense that does come after you and does try to generate negative plays, that's concerning to me. They were able to get a couple of big hits on Tanner McKee early. Uh, Raymond Scott had that one where he came through the blind side, gets him in the ribs. But Stanford made quick adjustments, and then it stopped. There was no more pressure, even though USC was loading the box against the run, but also to try to bring some pressure on McKee and force him to make some of those early decisions. And that's where they did really well against Starkle. Starkle got rid of the ball really quickly. McKee had a lot of time to sit back there. Yeah. You know, outside of those first couple drives um, in the first quarter, the first quarter USC's defense was good outside of one play. Uh, now that was an 87-yard run. Yeah, yeah. And that I just I, from the press box, I just saw it sort of open up, like there was the left side of the line. So and, someone, yeah. someone missed a gap there. Either yeah. Raylan Goforth or Nick Figueroa. Both of them were basically in the same spot, and that left open a hole. And Kalen Bullock didn't take a good angle on it, and he has to do a better job. And that's you know the danger of playing a true freshman. Yeah. Um, you know he takes a bad angle. He's the last man. He's the last defense. He has to take a better angle to to stop that. At least slow the guy down. And then maybe Chase Williams can get over on the other side, but. You know, um, Pete had a, you know, got to the edge and was gone. And there was 87 yards to the house. And I listened to David Shaw's press conference after the game uh, while we we're waiting on some of the USC players to come out. And he said it was kind of like a, a, a bucket in basketball, a team that's really struggling to, to find some points. They get one basket to go in. You see the lid come off the basket is the analogy he used. And then he said, at first he said, you know, it's kind of like a layup. We got a layup. And then suddenly he's like, well, that was more like a three pointer. That was a little bit farther. <laughs> um, but then that, that allowed them to relax because they got the lead. Yeah. And so they have a lot of young players or inexperienced players. Those guys got to relax a little bit and felt like they could go out and dominate. And that's what they did. They yeah. went out and dominated USC on both sides of the ball. Mm -hmm. I thought we were confident about USC's cornerbacks. Is this just a, a bad game? What did you see from Dante Williams group? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some concerns there. I know they didn't like all of the, the calls that were out there, but you know it's the Pac-12 and um, you're going to get some calls and stuff like that. It's just, it's going to happen. I know Chris Steele wasn't super happy. Uh, he said so much in the interview you guys 
uh, did with them. But yeah, I think there's some concern. But to me, Keely, this was more of a there's sometimes game things go wrong. You know, there's sometimes, you know, you're in these meetings where, you know, there's more than we see in practice. There's a lot of meetings. There's a lot of film watching. And sometimes you just catch something, you know, it's like, you know, something you can exploit on the other team. And it just seemed like Stanford did a way better job and all of that pre-planning to figure out, okay, oh, maybe we don't have as good of athletes here. They don't have great skill position guys and they still took advantage of USC's better, you know, defenders. But they had a really good game plan. It just seemed like they out Fox. And that's why I asked, you know, um, Clay Helton about this, where like, hey, you were a 17-point favorite. You were down by 29. What could you have the coaching staff have done better? And didn't really get an answer. Just kind of like Shotgun said, he said like, well, we had a good game plan. Like, I don't think you could have because it looks like Stanford had a good game plan and their game plan trumped your game plan. I mean, if you had a good game plan, that means you didn't make any adjustments. Um, And then there was something else he said that it made it sound like, that they're kind of putting on the effort of the players and yeah. Graham Harrell put it on the effort of the players. Yeah. So does that I hate mean that? Yeah. I, hate well, that. That, I mean, that's fine if you want to say that, but then you have to take the responsibility. That's your job yeah. is to motivate the players. So they give the effort that you're looking for. So it's on the coaches. It always ends up on the coaches one way or the other, but you know, you can't be pushing the, the blame somewhere else when you know, you need to be, it's just interesting the responses from Graham Harrell, the responses from Clay Helton after the game, when compared to some other teams that lost yesterday. Now, you can look at it at uh, Ryan Day at Ohio State, took responsibility for it, said it was unacceptable. Unacceptable. And say, you know, that's a top five team. Okay, that's what you expect other coaches when you're ranked that high. Okay, let's look at it from a different angle. Mike Norvell, new coach at Florida State, they get, they lose on a bad, Ooh. terrible defensive play, oh. terrible defensive call. But he apologizes after it says, I, I, you know, I apologize to the alumni, to all the Seminoles out there, blah, 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 blah. Two different tracks of taking responsibility. And it just doesn't feel like this coaching staff is taking the responsibility that it seems like they should. Yeah. Um, saying, you know, the players didn't give enough effort and saying, you know, we thought it was an effective game plan. We thought we had a great week of practice is what Clay Hilton said. And... You could have. I mean, I, I heard that from people too. But that, I mean, doesn't always translate to a great game. Didn't but have a great Saturday of a game. No, and yeah. I and I think to your point, it's like yeah, like that. You know, you can say we really, you know, we studied a lot. We felt like we had a great game plan for this one going in. Like felt like we did, but we didn't. Like Stanford did this, they did that, whatever it is. Like yeah, we felt like we prepared well for this and just didn't put our players in a great position. Like something give. Uh, you have to give them something. And it just, you know, Clay Helton's not going to do that. He's going to be a very positive, you know, if you ask him what you did wrong, he's going to say, well, we did this right. And it's just not, I, I know, I mean, it's frustrating for us and people get mad at us. or like, we ask questions. Like, I can't force him to say, you know, there's, I mean, it's not a trial. You know, it's like, I can only ask him like, hey, can, what can you do better? And he's going to say, oh, we did this good. I mean, we can't do much more than that. So we try, um, you know, probably we could do a much better job too. But, you know, we're doing our best trying to do that. But it's just you're not getting those kind of answers, and just the feeling I got yesterday. I mean, we've heard, we've seen this before, right? We've seen it 2018 and 20 like just the fan, the apathy is through the roof. People are over it. I mean, the, I don't know. The yeah. Third quarter, the end of the third quarter tells you everything you need to know about where yeah. the fan base is. It's it was the it amount is, of booze we heard. It's yesterday. as bad as I've seen. It's, and a, it's, it's been bad. Before. It's kind of amazing how many booze there were in the fourth quarter and the chance that there were because of how many fans had left. Yeah, you know, it yeah. was it was spring game esque as far as the attendance, and I'm not talking about a Nebraska spring game. <laughs> I'm talking about a USC, you know, ten thousand people maybe left in the stadium, if that. Um, 
give credit to the student section for staying. They, yeah, they now, were. Granted, some of those chants were coming, you know, originating from the student section. But, you know, the fans spoke with their actions yesterday at the end of the third quarter. You know, they go down, and I don't know if it was 38 uh, or uh, 42 to 13 at that point. I don't remember exactly when they went up there. I think it was 35-13, and they were like, this is it. They're not coming back. Even though USC had all those comebacks last year, there was just there was no buy-in from the fans there because they felt like they've seen the same thing over yeah. and over, and they have. They've seen the same thing, and yesterday was very reminiscent of other losses that they've had in the past, but as a 17-point favorite, yeah, it yeah. was pretty bad. I mean, At there's home? there's a cumulative effect, and yeah, yeah. this this loss on its own is really bad like, because you were a big favorite and you were down so you know four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. So just on its own, but it's just piled on and piled on. And you had like the pandemic year in the middle, which was sort of like very weird, but then you know the horrible loss that gives you the bad taste in your mouth, and the the schedule was set up so easy. Fans were upset. They were like, man, USC can't lose these next few games. They're going to be like 4, 5, and 0, oh, a top 10 team. And then what's going to happen? Well, that, you know, obviously that is out the window. But you feel like the fans are like, they've just seen this, you know, over and over and over again. We, I feel, you know, Bill Plaschke, you know, wrote a column. He's like, people have written this column a million times, you know, calling for Clay Helton to be fired and everything. And I, I but the, I don't know, just the sense I got, Keely Shotgun, from feeling from the fans, it just seemed like, oh, it's done. Like, they can't they can't take it anymore. Like, they, they're going to walk away. And I, I feel like that's what the urgency is if you're in the administration, that if you wait to make a move and, and fire Clay Helton to the end of the season versus the bye week or sooner, um, I feel like, the, for real, like, fans are dropping off. Like, it, it just seemed, the feeling I'm getting is, like, they are over this. Well, what's interesting, too, is yesterday was a big recruiting day as well. A lot of recruits were mm -hmm. visiting. And with the early signing period, does that force your hand a little bit as well, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, so the, the whole force your hand, and, and I'm sure there's, I, we probably don't have any questions about, like, it, with Clay Hogan going to be fired and stuff. That I'm sure that doesn't come up. Um, Sarcasm, Ryan. Yes. Uh, no, so, that yeah, the sense of urgency to me is greater. And I feel like football-wise, Everyone was right when you said there's no way your head coach should take this team that was the most talented in the Pac-12 and go five and seven. There's no way this team should have won one Pac-12 championship game in the last 12 years. Like, that is ridiculous. They have been consistently the most talented team. You won one conference title in a dozen years. There's a lot of football reasons. And then we started to hear the economic reasons and the reasons from the poor decisions from previous leadership in the administration of why that couldn't happen. I think most of that has been mitigated. And now um, there's really no excuses left. You fixed, and I give, uh, you know, Mike Bone, Brandon Sauce, and I know people are unhappy with it. I give them credit because they did come in and fix a lot of stuff. There was a lot of things that were broke when they came in because of poor administration from before. They fixed a lot of things, but you fixed it all. You fixed everything around the main guy. You fixed everything around Clay Helton and made you gave him every possible reason to succeed. There is no reason from the resources you provided that a 17-point favorite should be down by 29 in the fourth quarter. Like that should not have happened. There's only one place you can look at that point, and that's to the head man, because you fix everything around, but you still have one guy that's driving this bus. And you know, if he's not doing his job, if there's whatever it is, the culture around him, it's going to come from the head coach. And as, as much resources you can provide, and USC's done that, you still 
at this point have to make a change uh, at the head coach. I think that's the only thing you could do. So to me, I feel like the administration is is hearing this more. They've heard it for the last couple of years. Uh, I think they're hearing it loud and clear now because there's there's really nothing else they can do but replace the head coach. Well, what's interesting about the positioning of this game and the way it was lost is that it's early in the season. And if you look at Mike Bone and Brandon Sosnan, when they came in, they didn't have a regular season loss in 2020. There wasn't really something you could point to and say, hey, this is an indictment on Clay Hilton. You need to fire him now. He could get kind of get away with the COVID season, uh, having a team that continues to fight in each game, and then you lose to Oregon in the championship game. But this is the first, I would say, Clay Helton loss, if you will, yes. where it's an inexcusable loss. It's early in the season, and it just demoralizes the fan base. And I think this is the first time that I think the new administration has to deal with something like this that we have seen in the Clay Helton era for years. Well, they had the holiday ball, right? So they got true, to see that. True. So that was sort of like a similar, and they're like, whoa. But that they just got there. You know, I yeah. think that was Brandon Sosna's like first, first game, everything yeah. first. Yeah. He just got to USC and that's, um, but now they've like, oh, we're going to fix this. We'll show you like we, it, you feel like, and I give them credit cause they've done some really good things and just feel like they're like, yeah, man, we, we've done some good work and it's, it's tough for them because then the team falls flat on their face anyway. And you're like, it wasn't about resources. It's about, you have someone that is as nice of a guy is, and it's been a joy to cover I mean, he's been very gracious with his time. Like him, I, you know, I could be friends with him for the rest of my life, but I don't think he's qualified to be the USC head coach. I didn't think it when he was hired, and it's seven years later, and I still don't think that. And this is another inexcusable loss in a long list of inexcusable losses. So I, I, at this point, I don't think there's anything the administration can do that doesn't include, here's the, here's the press release, we are moving on and finding a new head coach. I mean, there's nothing that gives you confidence that things will drastically turn around. I mean, Clay Helton will point to, was it 2016, the Rose Bowl year where they were one and three, they turned things around, but there's no magic fix. There's no, you know, you put in Jackson Dart, does that change everything for you? No, I don't think it does. Um, I, I think that there's too many small issues that are, you know, indicative of the program as a whole rather than one change at a position is going to make a drastic yeah. change. Um, and you know, I just don't feel like there is anything there. And it, it's it's unfortunate that it's the same issues over and over again. So it's not like there's something brand new that's come up. And, you know, if they fix this one thing that just randomly has popped up, then, you know, they should be better. It's the same things over and over. So I don't know what you know, would give anyone confidence that they will drastically change things and suddenly start playing like a championship caliber program. And the problem, if you look at 2016, I mean, you played Alabama, right? You played a good Utah team. The schedule was harder. Then it got significantly easier and they mm -hmm. just kind of grazed. They, the Washington game was legit, but after, I mean, outside of that, everything was pretty easy. I think Notre Dame was like four and eight that season or something. It was, there was just, there weren't as many roadblocks. Stanford shouldn't have been a roadblock. Like this was not like, Oh, we, you know, well, once we, we played Georgia and that you know, lost, but now we're going to bounce back. Like Stanford's like your gimme win. Like you should have won the game. So I don't see, you know, UCLA looks tough. Uh, Utah just lost, but you know, they look tougher uh, than what we've seen before. BYU. Yeah. BYU, like they get the win over that. I mean, yeah, this is not like, I think it's different from that year. Like you said, there's no magic pill. There's no Sam Darnold you're going to put in and fix everything. Plus it's not like the front loaded schedule. Like it's more of a back loaded schedule. And, the concerning thing for me, well, there's a lot of concerning things, but you just feel like, I feel like they could kind of sleepwalk through the beginning of the schedule and get a bunch of wins. 
and you couldn't. And so, whoa, like there, to me, there's something not right. I mean, the fans feel it. You can't not, if you're a player on the team, if you're a coach on the team, you can't not feel that energy. And we saw this two years ago uh, or three years ago, 2018, they had to avoid any reference to the head coach of the football team. When you bring him out of the tunnel at halftime and people are booing, they're probably not going to do that halftime interview anymore because it's just an invitation for the fans to express their displeasure when they tweet something and everyone has those negative thoughts. Like They were basically like, okay, well, we can't roll Clay Helen out there. If you can't roll your head coach out there in front of the fan base, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean, it makes it that much more difficult if you're a player. The person you're listening to and trying to believe in if they're getting booed by you know fifty to eighty thousand people, how 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 do you go and be like ah, I trust that guy? Yeah. When, when there's we'll, we'll say it half the people on the stadium. Well, there's forty thousand people that are saying this is not the guy. How do you then go believe yourself that, that the person is the one you should be listening to? It makes it that much more difficult. Um, and I, I think I, I talked to a, a couple players. And some of the younger guys are like, I've never been a part. I've never been booed like that. Yeah. So, you know, and I feel like it's kind of the analogy is literal, but also a little bit metaphorical is that Clay Helton's kind of standing on the center logo. The players are on the sideline. The fans are behind yelling. And so the players are kind of caught in the middle in the situation. Right. And, you know, they react different ways. You know, one player after, late in the game was yelling back at the student section, telling them basically to shut up uh, while they were chanting fire Helton. So you know they're they're kind of put in a, a rough place, and you you feel bad for the players. Yeah, yeah like for yeah. sure that they are not you know getting the opportunity to excel the way that previous student athletes at USC have been able to. Yeah, and I think the booing is directed towards Clay Helton, but in a stadium like that, you can't differentiate. Oh, they're booing right. my head coach versus me, and can you really separate those two? Either? Honestly, I just think they're booing Keely every time. I would say. <laughs> Those highlights aren't good enough, Keely. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No. Uh, but Chuck, and you and I were talking about this yesterday or last night in 2020. I think that was technically this morning. But uh, yeah. Sure. It's all a blur, actually, the last 24 hours. Yeah. But it's in 2020, it seemed like the team had fight. For whatever, wherever they found it, they had fight. But the body language in the fourth quarter was just bad. I mean, this is week two. Could this get worse? It could. Yeah, it definitely could. You know, I we haven't seen the team not be behind Clay Helton. And maybe this is, you know, like those players I was talking about, those younger guys that have never been booed before. You know, there's so many new faces on this team from, you know, the last two years because obviously there were no fans. So this is new to them. So, you know, being in a stadium where people are booing and chanting against your head coach, you know, maybe that played into the, the body language. Maybe they bounced back from it. But I, I think they're on a precipice right now, and it could go one one or two ways. And you know, maybe they rally around, say it's us against the world, and that's what you hope the team would do. Um, and maybe you know, and if the coaching staff fixes some of those small details, they can start to turn things around. We'll see this week when they go to Washington State, a place where they've notoriously not played well. Yeah, we'll see if they play any better. They should still win, but Washington State could be dangerous. You know, and especially with the way they just played. But just some of the things that you're seeing on the sidelines, you know, there's some bickering back and forth, you know, players yelling back at the student section, um, hearing some of the some stories from inside the locker room from after the game. Just a lot of things that make you say, you know, Clay Helton had said multiple times, extremely bonded was the phrase yeah. that he used talking about this team. They're a close knit group. 
I don't know that we're seeing the same things. I think the adage is actions speak louder than words. Yep. And it's to me, the feeling I get, we're not in the locker room, but what we've seen, you know, you go to practice, you see stuff going on, you hear, you talk to people, you talk to sources. It just seems like a house of cards to me that I felt honestly that there were problems. Uh, they did a lot of things to make it better as far as like fixing things in the program, uh, support staff, uh, you know, assistant coaches, recruiting, whatever. They did a lot of those things, but it's still not stable. You still have, you know, the tent pole that's holding everything up is still Clay Helton and everything around it might be better. But to me, it just felt like some sort of house of cards. And I, I felt like they could keep it together through the easier parts of the schedule. And the fact that it collapsed against Stanford doesn't give me any confidence that, I mean, this is going to be a roller coaster ride for the rest of the season. You, you remember in 2018 where things just went awry, even though USC was talented, they were just losing games they shouldn't lose. And you're just like, wow, um, you feel like that's a similar kind of thing. I mean, to me, like, I don't think there's any way that Clay Helton's the head coach in 2022. It's just, we've said, I mean, I've been wrong about this many times. So, you know, don't <laughs> listen to anything I say. It's hard outside of like running the table, literally winning every game. I mean, I think the administration has, is justified in making a move. And I, I feel like that's fair. But it's what we saw Saturday, what we saw last night. There's no way that team can run the table. Like, it's just, I know that's what Clay Elton was saying. And he's talking about, you know, let's see what's going on at the end of the season. To me, we saw that house of cards being really shaky and collapse at times. Uh, the way that what we saw out there just wasn't like a buttoned up team that everyone was on the same page. Everyone was together and they were bonded. That did not look like a bonded team to me. You kind of just answered what I was going to ask, Ryan. But just to fully play devil's advocate here, one could say, hey, this is a really bad game for USC. It was a North team, so they still, quote unquote, control their destiny in the South. They could end up in the Pac-12 championship. What's stopping you from believing that, Ryan? Just from what we saw. And... I'm not let me out in college football in general, like Alabama looks amazeballs and everyone else looks like, eh, you know, and maybe Stanford comes and beats some teams. And I think Stanford's going to lose some, some bad games the rest of the way too. Um, but it's just USC's not that good where they could just run the table. And if talent wise, they're, they're there, but you know, Notre Dame's look shaky. Talent, you know, talent wise, they're not necessarily there though. Cause there's some certain positions where, because they haven't recruited well, and because of a couple injuries, they're extremely thin, yeah. and they have to do other things with the defense in particular because they don't have those defensive tackles that can just you know be a two-gap guy and take up multiple blockers. They don't have those body types. So they do have a ton of talent, but they've slid in that. They can't in, certain, just... in certain aspects. But most of the teams on their schedule, they would switch watchers with USC. Sure. That's the thing where it's like USC, yeah, they have some issues like the defensive tackle whatever, but – Stanford doesn't have as good of a roster as USC, and they beat the crap out of them. So, I mean, Bryson Tremaine worked their receiver, their cornerbacks. Uh, you know, he didn't have too many stats there. He also, I think, had the the tip on the the punt the block punt. as well. Um, and he's a, I believe, he's a former walk on. Yeah, you know, so he's a guy that's from Los Angeles. And I was looking up his profile, and I was like, he went where? I don't, I don't remember. I don't even remember the name from him from four years ago. He's a senior, and I think he had something like. 15 catches or 20 catches coming into the season. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, he's not the five-star type of player that you would face if you face an Oregon or you face a Clemson or an Alabama on the outside. You're not – that's not him. Yeah. And yet 
he worked USC's cornerbacks in that game. So they're getting beat by former walk-ons. Yeah, and, I, and to Keely, your point is, I feel like USC losing losing badly to a not quite as talented team or not as talented team, but a well-coached team. There's going to be other better talent, you know, more talented teams on the schedule that have just as good coaching or better, and that's why it's going to be tough for USC to to run the table. I thought they could go 10 and 2 for sure. They should have. Like I, I felt this was a 10-win team for sure. Like the way the schedule set up, uh I mean, and the people were saying, "Oh, they're going to be 6 and 6 or 7 and 5." Like there's no way. Nah, I think they're more right now than uh you know, we'll see. USC can turn around. They're still very talented, you know, but like a 9 and 3 season after this like it's that's not going to be good enough. You have to win the conference and you have to win the rest of your game. You can't back into the like it just what we saw on Saturday, I think it changes everything. I mean, is there an instance, Ryan, that you can remember, or Shotgun, because I know you have a crazy memory, where we came into a game where we looked at a game and said they they were against a opponent that coached very well, but USC came out on top. When I feel like we usually are saying they were outcoached, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a time when that wasn't the case? I mean, if you look at like Utah, uh, Matt Fink coming in, you, you look at Kyle Whittingham, you think he's a really good coach, but they were super stubborn in that. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's the the well coached. If you're going to call Stanford a well coached team, two years ago when Slovis diced them up because they decided to play man all the time, uh, that's a well coached team. Then um, and they beat them. So uh, there's a couple instances there, but it's they are more often than not they are fighting against the coaching as yeah. far as they're in a coaching deficit. Um, and there's a couple games where. It, usually it's when the other team is just like, there's why were they so stubborn with it? Yeah, you yeah. know, against USC's weapons. Coaches are stubborn. For sure. um, yeah, sure. <laughs> there's a couple times where USC's had a really good game plan. And maybe they felt like they had a really good game plan going into this game, but and I thought they played pretty well in the first quarter outside of that one play. Um, and they had a big, a long drive. It was like 15 plays or something. Yeah, it was like they 95 yard drive. Yeah. took a fair catch on, on the five, which is... And Clay Helton pointed out that they were facing the field position deficit the entire game. You know, they were never even when they did flip the field, it was they flipped the field and then an eighty-seven yard run on the next play. So, um, you know, the their offense struggles to put together those type of drives consistently because a lot of times one thing will go wrong and it'll back up a drive, and that's what teams are trying to do. Okay, even if we're in plus position, if we can punt it and pin them inside the ten yard line. Are they going to really drive ninety yards? You know, and if they do drive, are they going to get stuck in the red zone? That's yeah. been the case too often for the USC offense right now. And I feel like with the the running game, it comes up a lot. I mean, USC's actually run the ball. Like if you look at statistics, it's like it's been fine. But that doesn't really matter. It's sort of like teams are letting USC run for five yards a carry because they know you're not going to go follow through with it. You're not going to consistently do that. And they're going to, you know, for you to have a twelve play drive, it's going to be everything's got to go right and. Um, it's just because USC has been so inefficient on offense, you know, it's not going to go right. Like there's going to be that run that goes sideways and gets tackled for two yard loss and then you're behind the sticks and it just doesn't work. So I feel like people are letting USC run the football a little bit more and like, all right, but we're, we're going to take away what we think your strength is. And if you want to like try to run the ball all the way down the field, go ahead, but we don't feel you're going to do that. And you know, they haven't. And as Clay Hilton said today on the call, he said they have to grow in the explosiveness of the offense. They're not getting explosive plays. No, and that's because defenses are playing further back. They're keeping, you know, playing off coverage, extra safety back. Let them run. They can't break those runs because they're not, you know, being able to hold those blocks at the second level. Not, and that's something that uh, you know Clay McGuire has kind of noted. And I think 
I think Graham Harrell said that yesterday as well. He did. I actually have the quote pulled up. He said, we always talk about how explosive plays are huge, and I think we had some looks to hit explosives. Like I said, I think that Stanford wanted to make the tackle more than we wanted to make the block a couple of times. So yeah. he basically was questioning USC's effort yesterday when I talked to him. So I thought that was an interesting development there. Yeah. I mean, I thought the offensive line played okay. Is that good enough? You know, I talked to Jonah Monheim and he said, you know, we, you know, a lot of times we got the right calls and we, you know, got our right, you know, got our hats on the right blocks, but we're not dominating. And I think that's the biggest thing to open up those explosive plays. And that's why he mentioned why he mentioned it. he said, if we want to get those explosive plays, we got to dominate guys. We got to be able to, you know, knock a guy down and create a big hole type of thing. That hasn't been the case. And can this offense do that without? That's what you when you look at the Oklahoma State air raids or the Mike Leach air raids. Is that a short, usually short, speedy running back? You're so intent on focusing on those four receivers that are out there, the four you know pass catching targets that suddenly that guy pops one in the middle, a draw or something, and it goes for 60, 70 yards, and you're just like, wait, they just ran the ball on us and yeah. they scored. But like Oklahoma State is terrific at that, you yeah. know, having dynamic running backs that pop those really long runs, those explosive runs. And USC hasn't been able to do that. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, we have a full caller queue, so I'm yeah. going to get to our call. It's like Just, a 40-minute intro. Sorry. I know. Sorry. Thank you for everyone who's been waiting on the call line. We appreciate you. Just a friendly reminder, please be brief, and please have a question. That way we can go through as many calls as possible. Let's go to our first caller. It's Gilbert from Sherman Oaks. Hello. You are live on Tunnel Vision. Hi, gang. Um, I'm not going to reiterate everything that um, you have already talked about. Good. I've been an SC fan for 70 years. My daughter graduated from SC. We are longtime great SC followers and fans. She was born an SC fan. But here's what I want to get to. Number one, no matter if it was a 17-point uh, favorite, I told my daughter, we're going to Coliseum, and I feel a nail-biter, but we're going to win. I never thought we were going to blow out Stanford. And I'll tell you why. I knew we were going to be outcoached. I know that, okay? I mean, I've watched, I've watched SC teams over the years. And this, this Helton era, we're always out. It seems like we're always outcoached. That is so frustrating. I'm assuming Stanford uh, has good athletes, but are they better than SC? I doubt it. I really do. Uh, the other point I wanted to make is that crowd at the beginning was so electric. I'm a veteran, but when they shut off the lights, I never felt the Coliseum so alive and so electric as it was before the game. And at the end of the game, or by the third quarter, yeah, it, it was totally... The air had come out of the balloon. But here's my question. Wait, wait. That wasn't here's my <laughs> question. You, you guys, you know the athletes better than we do. You're great analysts. Do you feel, uh, it, it, are we going to lose uh, a lot of talent through the transfer portal if this coach remains coach of this program? And I'll let you guys answer. Thanks. Thanks, Gilbert. Thanks, Gilbert. It's like exactly the opposite of what Kelly <laughs> wanted, like the, the long preamble. That's yes. okay. Real quick on the other points. Um, but thanks for the call, Gilbert. Glad, glad that you're a 70-year uh, Trojan fan. Um, 
David Shaw has an ability to be outcoached for sure. He he can be one of the most stubborn coaches around, and he outcoached Clay Elton for sure. But there's been plenty of times you see the week before, like everyone thinks Tanner McKee's a better quarterback. Well, he starts Jack West. Like he's just done those things. He's done with KJ Costello and Keller Crit. Like he beat Oregon State by a point. Like defiant that he wasn't going to put his back, you know, the, the better quarterback in. Like he can be that way. But he wasn't that way on Saturday. Like he outcoached everything. But he's made some horrible decisions. He punts fourth and one at your, you know, the opponent's thirty-five yard line. Like he's done some things. Like R.J. Abadie will tell you, just like these Shawisms that are just insane. But he was aggressive. He took points off the board on Saturday. They kicked a field goal and they were winning. And David Shaw said, when USC gets an offside penalty, and it wasn't like fourth and one. It was like fourth and two and a half or three or something. And he goes for the touchdown and gets it. Like that's like riverboat gambler stuff for David Shaw. That is not normally who he is. So, um, but yeah, so I, David Shaw definitely outcoached him, but we've seen the opposite of that happen many times. As far as the transfer portal, that's a reality in college football right now. It's mm -hmm. just, it is. Um, if there's, if it's like this house of cards kind of thing, like we're saying, and we're hearing dissension. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be an issue, which is part of the reason why, if you're going to make a move, at least you're going to get people in the right direction. But if you make a move, you're probably going to lose a bunch of people anyway. Any kind of coaching change, we've seen coaches move. They bring people with them. They, you know, whatever. Like there's going to be uh, attrition, no matter what. That's a that's the reality of college football right now. So if they keep kept Clay Hilton, or you know he stays on the hot seat, or they, you know, they fire him and bring in someone else. Like, there's going to be attrition on the roster. It's very similar with the recruiting question. Like, you know, Keely asked earlier, do you try to make a move earlier because of the early signing period? Whenever you make a move, if you make a move, there's going to be a complete flip of, you know, what the coaching staff, the new coaching staff is looking for, and, you know, who they value. Some of the commits will drop off. There'll be other guys that'll, you know, that USC maybe not be in the mix for right now that suddenly they are in the mix for that have relationships with the new staff. So, Either way, there will be some, some attrition. Uh, there always is in college football. The transfer portal, though, is definitely looming. And, you know, it could go, you know, depending on how things are going and how the locker room is, you know, if they can get things, you know, figured out and actually become a uh, well-meshed uh, unit, then, you know, if they don't, then there could be guys who are like, ah, I can't, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I did like the, the blackout thing in the beginning. Was yeah. Cool? It was really cool. Yeah. That that's, was, I thought that's that was the thing. Neat. It was a great environment to start. Mm -hmm. I mean, Gerald yeah. Casey counting down to, to blackout. That was pretty neat. Yeah. Pretty cool. I give him credit for doing that. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's some of the stuff like the administration's doing. But um, special was the word that I was told today from from uh, someone in the locker room. It's special. I was like, there was a special environment. Never seen anything like it. Yeah. Never so excited about it. Um, and then to lay an egg on the field is just yeah, it makes it even more disappointing. I think it makes yeah. it like, oh, who cares about that? Because but I think the stuff. environment, just real quick, I think the environment was great for the recruits there. They had a huge amount of recruits now, and a lot of them stayed the entire game, which. You know, some recruits come and, and check out <laughs> things. So I don't know if that's a positive or negative, but, yeah. um, you know, great atmosphere. And they could see it as, you know, if this is the atmosphere when they're struggling, what could it be? You know, you could sell it that way too, potentially. So, that's a good point. you know, I think it was a great environment and credit to all the fans for creating that for the recruits that were there. Mm -hmm. And Ryan, you always mentioned the Minti Teo story that Gerard has with the snowball. Right. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, recruits can come to an environment and just be like, 
it'd be horrible and they still want to go to the school. Like Manti Teo went to Notre Dame. It was snowing. They were getting beat by Navy. Students were throwing snowballs at the team and he was on the sidelines seeing all this and he went to Notre Dame still. Like, so, you know, they don't put too much stock in one game, but mm -hmm. the environment I think definitely helped for recruiting. Mm -hmm. All right, Gilbert, thanks for the call. Let's go to Stanley from West Hills. Stanley, I'm hoping you can prove me right with a Hi. brief call. <laughs> You're live on Tunnel Vision. Oh, What's God. up? Well, first of all, Ryan, you kept me up late last night uh, with the emergency podcast, which was well done. I have a question for you. You mentioned that you could be friends with Clay Helton for life. Uh, I think I go back a long way with USC. We had coaches like Marv Gu and Coach O. Coach O, LSU, was taunting the UCLA fans because of his Trojan blood. Uh, Nick Saban would not put up with the mistakes that are being made by both the offense and defensive players. Do we have a coach on the sideline in that, in that uh, type of a person? And the other question is, the main one is, are there any player motivate, motivators who go out there and will work up the team and get them motivated to play? Thank you. Thanks for the question. Yeah, good stuff there. Yeah, Thanks, I mean, Stanley. like, I, I like Ed Orgeron too. You know, I mean, I could be friends with him. I mean, I would go have dinner with him. He's, he's just a great dude. Um, you know, it's unfortunate the way things are going down there right now, but like, yeah, if like five years from now, if Clay Hilton's doing something else or whatever, and, and he was like, Hey, you want to go there? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. I mean, I no issues with any of Like, I think he's a, he's a wonderful person. Um, motivators on the team. I don't think you have the, like, so the Marv Goose would be like when he was there, like he was the one that talked to Dr. Bartner and tried to make the band and the, and the team come together. He was a leader. He's been around a while. Like a Vixo Oto can kind of maybe the most personality wise, but he's so young. He's, he's only been coaching for, I think it's his fifth year as an assistant coach. I don't think he's got the chops because he's got the experience behind him. Uh, I'm not sure who else on the team would be that way. I think he's the guy that could be like the future. And maybe it's just because of the defensive line thing. Um, the next Orgeron kind of guy, but I'm not sure who else on the staff would be like, there's not really that guy. I think. I mean, Soto is probably the, the scariest dude. So is that, that's <laughs> yes. the way you're looking at it. Um, you, you know, there, there are other coaches that are noted for their person, uh, personability. Um, like Ivar is great. Yeah. I mean, the whole defensive staff is just love them all. Yeah, fired up. Yeah. But I mean, they should be fired. I'm not up sure if they're like that, that rough, like, the, like the, the Marv goo kind. I don't know if there's one of those and there's a rare anyway. Like, I don't think you always have one. It's a little bit different college football now versus like, you could do some of the stuff. He, most of the stuff. He you don't did. have to fear that your head coach is going to attack a player on the field. Like <laughs> Shim Beckler did. So, yeah. um, you know, different mentalities for that. Um, but, yeah, I think Vic would probably be the scariest dude and the guy that you want to get in, get on people that way. And, you know, Orlando gets on guys as well. We hear Clay McGuire at practice getting on the offensive lineman. Yeah. Um, but you don't – it's not the same, I don't think. And, yeah. and I don't think that USC has any that same type of personality like you would have in Orgeron. But it's the same thing, and even with players-wise, I'm not sure who would stand out, but it's like – you you reflect the personality of your head coach, and that's just not Clay Hilton. Yeah, you know, a lot like that's the you know it's going to disseminate down from him, and that's just there's no part of him that's like that. Towards the end of the game, the last offensive drive, Kanai Malga was going down the defensive bench and saying, "Hey, come on, guys, let's get up and let's go support our teammates. Let's let's cheer on the offense." Um, that's the type of leadership you're looking for. Chase Williams was there with him. Uh, yeah. He's been a guy that's very vocal. Chase, Greg Johnson, Isaiah Pulamau. Yeah. You've seen those guys step up. Yeah, so the, the question, though, it remains, and Keeley and I have talked about this, it feels like for five or six years now, 
where's that person on the offensive side? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. It, and we just discussed all the coaches, and we talked about all the defense coaches, and I mentioned McGuire as really the only offense coach. You don't feel like there's an offense coach that really does that either. So that's a big question because you're losing half your football team. Yeah. You know, if, if there's not someone that's stepping up on the offensive side to, you know, say, say their piece or whatever. Um, you know, Jalen McKenzie's been a pretty vocal guy. Yeah. He's not even starting now, though. But that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, you need yeah. you need a starter. You need the quarterback. You need that you know whoever it may be. You need the roughest, toughest guy on on the offense. That person needs to be the person. Mm-hmm. Alrighty, let's go to our next caller. It's our buddy Dave from Iowa. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hello, can you guys hear me? Yep. Hey, Dave. Awesome. Hey guys, Dave from Iowa once again. Ryan, first off, I'd like to thank you for uh, doing the emergency podcast at 2.30 in the morning and finishing at 3.30. However, the main thing, I wasn't surprised about the messages really. However, I was surprised though that uh, you still think you're not a big fan of Cristobal after he beat Ohio State without without KT and Justin Flo. So my question for you is, do you think that Clay Helton could do the same with USC going to the horseshoe and beat Ohio State without, let's say, Jake Jackson and Kenai Malga. And then Shotgun, in terms of Ryan's perspective on Stanford not being good, I, I, I have this comparison for you, and before I say it, I just want to say this is based off team production, not the financials. There are good teams, Oregon. There are bad teams, that's Stanford. Then there's 50 feet of crap, and then there's us. Is that accurate, or do you think are we in the middle of the crap, or what do you think? <laughs> Love to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Dave. Are I mean, we in the middle of the crap? I'm not sure. Is this like an Andy Dufresne question. Yeah, I mean, outside, like that's a big win for Mario Cristobal. Like they've been, you know, winning the Pac-12. Um, I mean, there's definitely a lot of questions on. He's an excellent recruiter. Uh, his name does come up for like SEC jobs. I mean, he's a you know Miami guy and all that. But you know, there's definitely been some questions. But I, I feel like he bumped up his personal stock by getting that win there it's a it's a big win and no usc would not go into the horseshoe and win with all their players let alone two of their better ones out they did go to washington and win when they were a top five team yeah but this is that's different like this is the horseshoe although was washington not a great atmosphere that night you guys were they were great it was that was there so, the oh, last game I missed, yeah, was the 2016 uh, you shouldn't washington have missed game. that one it was great i know everyone tells me that i know <laughs> Let's go to our next caller on oh, the wait, line. What about your thing? Uh, uh, did, did you We're answer? moving through, Ryan. Okay, sorry. It doesn't okay. even matter. I'm just going yeah. through. We got Chris. USC's team is still from better Anaheim than Stanford. Please don't say like line. number one, number two. Yeah. Hello. You're live on Hello. television. Hey, my name is Chris Leon. Uh, first time caller, a long time listener. Um, I wanted to know why does the administration and the athletic directors keep Hilton when 1979, when Robinson left, they got rid of Hackett. They got rid of Smith. They got rid of Toner. Why do they keep this guy? I don't understand. Hey, Chris. So, um, yeah, I think just the, the short answer would be uh, it starts at the top. You've had, you know, since Mike Garrett was hired, um, was it 93, something like that, whatever, when they brought him along, uh, they've just kept going with former football players as athletic directors. And nobody knew. Garrett had worked in the, the, admit, the building, at least. So he at least knew what was going on. Everyone since then was brought in and said, here's how we do things. So you had 30 years or something of just, this is what we do things and no outside influence at all. And it just became this, there was just all this, there's this environment of uh, just, here's how we do it. This is the way we do things. We don't care what college football's changing, but we don't care. 
Um, and then you had, you know, Lin Swan was, I, I go back and forth, Pat Hayden, Lin Swan, who was worse. But when Lin Swan gave uh, a fully guaranteed extension to Clay Helton, and eight months later, he goes five and seven, and you are strapped with like a $40 million price tag on him. You can't fire. Everyone just assumed, okay, obviously you're going to fire him now. No one knew that not only did he get an extension, but he got a 40% raise and it gets bumped up every year and it's fully guaranteed. So Lin Swan got completely fleeced, but you have to blame everybody that was around there, the president, uh, the board of trustees. So the contract made it really difficult or nearly impossible to fire Clay Hilton. So that's why we are where we are right now. Nice. Well done. Brief question, brief answer. Sort of. Ish. Sort of brief. But. We'll go to our last caller in the queue for now, and then we'll jump into questions since we haven't even been able to jump into questions. It's Thomas from Malibu. If I could pull you up into the queue. Hello, uh, you're good, live on television. Hey, good evening and uh, great show. Uh, two quick things. First of all, uh, we used to kind of joke about Mike Garrett, but we kind of chuckle now because we wish we had him back here because I'll tell you, he wouldn't allow this nonsense uh, when he stated everyone wants to be a Trojan, never have been truer words spoken. My question to you is simple. Are we finally going to stop the nonsense about Graham Harrell being some kind of special coach? Listen, I watched the game. I've watched every game. It gets more and more nauseating by the evening. He is nothing special. He is easily figured out, and it's just a mockery to put this guy in the camera all the time as if he's some kind of Sengali. I mean, it's embarrassing. What's your thoughts on that? Fight on. That's the first Sengali reference I think we've had on television. So thank you, uh, Michael. And the boo, in the Malibu. Um, the, the Graham Harrell thing is very interesting to me because when everyone's talking about you got to replace Clay Helton, just make Graham Harrell the, the, the head coach. And, and he was up for some other head coaching jobs. But to me, there's the shine has come off of that somewhat, right? It's just not... I feel like, and we're gonna, we haven't done a food analogy. We kind of do this thing where. Where's the we there? You <laughs> haven't done me? a food analogy. This is your brand, Ryan. This is, this is the thing. Um, yeah, there's like, I really felt when they hired him and you saw that first year, like, okay, they got a system and they're sticking to it. What I feel like is he was like an amazing, like, Italian chef. And there's this Italian restaurant that they, they hired a great Italian chef and he left. For someplace else, he went to Italy and goes cook over there. They're like, we need another good one, so they bring in Graham Harrell. He's like, oh, great. so we got another Italian chef, and then but Graham got got there and he started cooking Italian food, and he's like, I want a little more French influence in mine. He's like, I haven't really studied that, but I'm going to do some more French food. And now you've got this like uh, fusion restaurant as opposed to you wanted Italian, and even though some USC fans didn't want like the air raid, you don't got it anymore. Um, but that's what he knew, like, and so he's kind of getting away from his. For me, it feels like. He's getting away from his core competencies of what he knew, and he's trying to do some other things, and it just doesn't seem to be working. I don't think he's a great French cook, and he's cooking a bunch of French food. So that's sort of my feeling, I think. So yeah, like I don't feel like people are going to be lining up to hire him as a head coach anymore, and I don't feel like he would be the interim coach if USC fires Clay Hilton in the middle of the season because his unit is not performing very well. They scored 23 points against San Jose State and, what, 20 points against... Uh, Stanford and, you know, in the majority of the game until scrub time. I'm curious your thoughts on this, Ryan. How much did this offense or its scheme take a hit, given that we know that USC struggled at wide receiver recruiting and now they're kind of relying on young new guys or transfers to jump in and make immediate impacts? I mean, I'll give USC credit on the, the they are not bringing in the Juju Smith, the, the Robert Woods, like the Marquis, the guys that were like the local four and five star talent that we just, they would automatically come to USC. That's not happening anymore. 
But the guys they're bringing in seem to be pretty good. Like, if you get a Joseph Manjack, like, that guy looks really legit, you know? So I feel like they're still doing okay, but they're not getting, like, the the low... There's, like, low-hanging fruit in Southern California. Like, five, four- and five-star receivers are falling off trees around here, and, like, you could just pick them up, and USC hasn't been doing that. I think the same thing with running back recruiting. They haven't done as well uh, in that situation. And, you know, you would think if it's an air raid that you could get receivers to line up and, and come in, but... Something isn't quite right. And I feel like if you were just cooking the Italian food and you just ran the air raid, you ran what he would run before, then I think this would look different. It seems like you're trying to like, well, I'm going to branch out and do something else. And that's not really what you were brought in for. And if you were really good at it, that's fine. I'm not seeing it them be really good at this, like running the two tight ends and all. It just doesn't seem like it's working like it would if they just ran four wideouts and just threw the ball all over the place. Shotgun, your thoughts? I mean, if the offense would get on sync, get in sync, I think it would look different. But that's been the biggest issue, I think, even more so than the play calling, is just they're not on the same page. People aren't lined up right. You no. know, the receiver, the quarterback and the receivers are not on the same page. You know, they're not being able to connect and have that. Because Keaton Slovis threw a couple balls that are perfectly placed balls away from the defense. Receivers got to make those catches. They're off the fingertips uh, on a couple of them. A couple of them, he's not making the right throw. Um, so, you know, there's it's hard to judge this offense or judge Graham Harrell, I think, with the issues with the offense not being in sync uh, as far as just his play calling and whatnot. But what is it going to take for that? Like, you should have, you know, you've got to develop those other guys. you got to develop the Kyle Ford. I know Kyle Ford's been injured, but the – the John Jackson and those guys that they can step in when you lose Amon Ross St. Brown and Tyler Vaughn rather than saying, we got to bring in new guys to, to be able to fill those roles. And you're not rotating the guys. You're not being able to keep Gary Bryant on the field because of his health issues. There's some issues there. Maybe the offense will look better down, down towards the end of the season. And maybe then, you know, people will think better of Graham Harrell. But right now I think the biggest issue is it's just not in sync. Yeah. They're running the ball. Oh, okay. They're taking advantage of those high safety looks and those some of those different things, those drop coverages. You know, picking up some third downs with the run, but just in in totality, it's it's not insane. No, I feel like you have a checklist. So, Keila, you got this thing here. Like, okay, well, we want to run for at least 140 yards. We want to do this. We want to get this guy the ball that many times. Like, oh, look, like on paper, we're doing well. What do you say receivers got to do? What's, catch the ball. Catch the ball. What do you do as an offensive coordinator? Score points. You need points. Like, that's all that matters. Our friend Alicia Deratola at the Reign of Troy. Score freaking points. That's what you want, right? They talk about scoring 50. They can't score 30. Like, against not very good competition. So, I don't care what, I don't care how many rushing yards you have. I don't, oh, we were 4.5. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, put points on the board. If you, if I was, if this was, you know, this is an interview situation, and I'm like, here's what I have for you. This is my company, Company USC, and I have Drake London and Keaton Slovis and all these dudes, and and you're the offensive coordinator coming into my office, and I'm you're interviewing for me, and you're like, okay, here's what I have for you. What can you do? Well, I can have a scheme that I'm going to score 45 points a game. Boom. Tell me what it is, and you're hired. That's what you want. Like, just do your job and go score 45 points. Like, I don't care about anything else. Okay, how many rushing yards or how many penalties you have? Go score 45 points. They're not able to do that. So, yes, I think the shine has come off whatever this offense is. 
little rant there. Sorry. Yeah, that was. <laughs> there you go. I mean, Shotgun, you dipped into this, but we have multiple questions. Steve wanted to know, what do you think of the soft zone busting up the air raid? Uh, Fabbank said, why can't Graham Harrell solve the eight-man coverage? It looked like USC was getting some good run yards. Why not run it until they have to stop doing drop eight? great question because <laughs> you know when you're doing that you know that they're not going to be committed to that like that's just not they want it well we've got these runs but now we got to do this and it doesn't matter if the defense change it's not about I mean, taking what they got to the five yard line and then threw four straight passes yeah and they got a pass interference in between there um and then eventually they got they got to the two I think it was and they ran the ball and they got in on the third down yeah. um, on the fifth they play. did an under center like fourth and one or whatever sneak like quarterback sneak yeah so there were some things in this game that like USC one drive fans, like USC fans on, yeah. have, have been clamoring for we saw some more wide receiver rotation which is a positive I think they went under center and got stuffed um, and that's partially that was Trickland and didn't have a very good block on that so Keontae Ingram decided to try to cut back inside. You know, that was an interesting play call, you know, and that's actually, it was interesting to me because I watched the hype video or the, whatever, the highlight video from USC beating Stanford, uh, upsetting them and the fans rushing, rushing the field. That was a play that they, they scored on in that uh -huh. game. Um, so I thought it was interesting that they, you know, did the, did a play from a couple of years ago. Stanford stopped it this time. <laughs> um, but they did some other things that the fans have been clamoring for. More rotation, different things like that, and they didn't—they didn't all work. The no. the quarterback sneak did work, but Keaton Slovis was like jostled around. He, like, that he one. ran like four times on that drive, which was very strange. You know, it was really weird. Like they, they did that fake, and it was just like okay. And, and that's something with the drop eight that he has to do. You know, when it's not third down, if they're dropping everybody back and there's nothing open, take off, pick up five or six yards, and I think he did a good job of that. Yep. Chuck Ranger said, "Why in garbage time did Slovis decide to start throwing to different receivers?" I think because there were more different receivers on the field. London came off. Kyle Ford came on. They rotated some different guys in there at that time, so I think that was part of it. Um, there were some questions about why wasn't Jackson Dart in the game in the fourth quarter. And, you know, at the time I'm thinking, you know, when I'm watching it, like, why are you not getting the backups in? You know, the avoid, avoid the potential sack. But after thinking about it, the offense needed to stay out there. They're having so many issues with being in sync, and maybe those two drives at the end help lead into something a positive week of practice, and that carries over to Washington State. But when you're having so many issues with your quarterback throwing to receivers and being on the same page and all those type things, I think the offense need to be out there. I just felt – I think Stafford put in backups at that point. I don't care. I, I they just, need their confidence. I they feel need like that. they're like, whoa, you only lost by two touchdowns instead of like, no, you were losing by more. This was not – But you, still, you should have put the backups in. It's important to play – your backups. It's USC more, should be blowing teams out and putting in their backups. Yes, but it's more important for the offense to get on, get in sync, and get get some momentum going forward. So I think that was actually a smart move in hindsight, looking at it like, okay, we're really struggling. Let's try to figure this out. And maybe it was the up tempo. That's what Grant. I mean, that's what Clay Helton said today. He's like, oh, we, you know, we went more up tempo, and um, and maybe Graham will do that. And if I, it, what did he, what did he say? He You're thought down that, by like four touchdowns. He thought so that Graham Graham Harrell got in a good rhythm in the fourth quarter. Yeah. A little, little late there. Um, but <laughs> I think it was important for that first group to be out there and get a little confidence in a game where the entire team's confidence was shredded. I think it was positive for Keaton to throw a touchdown to Drake London and those type things to happen. Um, so in hindsight, looking back, I think it was a good idea to leave the starters in, at least on the, on the offensive side.
All right, I'm going to put us in rapid fire mode. Okay. Because it is 8.05. Aran says, at the end of the game, they put in Kyle Ford and he looked great. Why just at the end? Kind of I, I like Kyle. He's my dude. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, it's baffling to me. He seems healthy. And I, I'm not sure. I, did, I talked to him on Tuesday. He said he was healthy. Yeah. We put so. some more stuff in the war room. Keely yeah. did that. So uh, make sure to check that out over at uscfootball.com. Nice plug. Jasper yeah. Smith said, will Washington State be able to handle USC's pass rush better than they did in 2020? Washington State's a mess. See, that's the other issue. Like, I mean, they, they got players suing their head coach. Like, there's just, there's a lot of weird stuff going on. Now, they, you know, they lose to a Utah State team kind of struggled with an FCS team uh, yesterday for a little while, then they, you know, blew them out. But um, I don't know. I'm not sure what to expect from, from Washington State. Now, maybe they're going to get things righted. Uh, but, you know, you have the governor of the state of Washington who, you know, is unhappy with the head coach because he's not getting vaccinated. There's a lot of distractions up there. Maybe their last game fixed some of that, but I don't know what to expect for Washington State. The – the difference with the pass rush, it's going to be difficult for USC to get sacks in this game as well because they're a team that tries to get the ball out super quick. Yeah. So USC didn't get a ton of sacks, if I remember correctly, against Washington State, but they really bothered Jaden Delora yeah. last year. And Delora came back in. Uh, he started the FCS against Portland State this past weekend, so I'm assuming he'll be the starter going forward. Yeah, and he, I mean, he's an athletic dude. He can, yeah. he can make some plays, so. Kobe on Facebook wanted to know, when's the last time that USC signed a five-star offensive lineman? Austin Jackson, probably. Uh, yeah, so Austin Jackson, um, and depending, I think in the composite, he was a four-star, so I don't remember correctly uh, off like the top Chuma of my head. Chuma Doga was Chuma was up there. Mostly. EJ Price was up there. So, oh, yeah, Price transferred out. But uh -huh. Austin Jackson, that class, you know, you got him, you got ABT, Brittany Elon, Jalen McKenzie, and I'm forgetting one. Uh, yeah. There's a fifth one, but uh, they got five guys in that class, uh, Voorhees. So, uh -huh. you know, that was their most recent, really successful class. Yeah. A.K. Boone wanted to know, why didn't Corey Foreman play more? Do you want to give I don't know. Clay Helton's answer? That he <laughs> he didn't, he was limited in practice last week because he's been dealing with a foot issue. Um, and because of that, they basically limited what packages he was going to be in on. Um, and... You know, that, that was just a pass rush package, and USC didn't put that package on the field very often. Yeah. And to the first time that they put the pass rush package on, um, which I don't even know if it was the package or something else, was a third and 21 or something. You know, they had two back-to-back -back tackles for losses, and they only had 10 guys on the field, so they had to call timeout. <laughs> well, then two plays later, they have to punt, and there's two number ones on the field. That should have been a penalty with the Pac-12 refs. Being Pac-12 refs, they missed that. But these yeah, are the, these are the small point. details. This is what I'm talking about. Like people not knowing I need to be on the field. Like I'm a, a part of a certain package. I need to be out there. And you have to call a timeout. You waste a timeout in the first half. Now USC didn't need it because Stanford was the one driving at the very end. But if they did and they're missing a timeout, you're gonna look back at that play and go, if they were just organized enough to know get everybody on the field. And it's hard to do with 110 people that are 18 to 22. But you but gotta that's do it. Your job. Yeah, that's your job. Yeah, that's that, what you've been preparing the last. That's nine what months championship for. caliber teams do. Yeah. The attention to detail is the most important thing in a Nick Saban organization. USC doesn't have that attention to detail. No. You saw it on defense there, special teams, and then I believe it was the next drive on offense was when they had a false start because Michael Trick lined up wrong and he was on the line. He needed to be off. Drake London's yelling at him. This is after Keaton Slovis on the very same play. Before that, they're showing him moving Keontae Ingram in the backfield, saying, "No, you need to be over here." 
So there goes defense, special teams, offense. Yeah, those are three things that aren't like how big or fast or strong you are. That's just yep. where are you going to line up or what are you doing? Like, can you get on the field? You know, and attention to detail. Yeah. Chloe White wanted to know with USC's loss to Stanford, does it now make uh, the team's game against Washington State the most important game of the season for the team? Got to go one and zero every week, baby. <laughs> That's what uh, I was about to say. You want the coach talk or? Uh, no, it, uh, no. Like that doesn't. I mean, th- what makes it important is you got to beat Notre Dame and UCLA. Like that's like if you're not going to win the Pac-12, it's going to be about the rivalry games. But um, yeah, I, I mean, any game you lose is going to be you know magnified and highlighted. But uh, if you have to look at the rest of the schedule, I mean, it's going to be about the rivalry games, Notre Dame and, and UCLA. You can get some. You can get some back. It's like the you know when you're in the three point shooting contest, like that's the money ball. Like you know you get you get two points for beating Notre Dame or two points for beating UCLA, um, but you know it's it, it's like cost you two points if you miss those shots. Daniel wanted to know if you can make sense about the fact that Kansas State only allowed Stanford to score seven points, and yet we saw what we did against USC. I mean, I mentioned it earlier, but David Shaw said after the game that he felt like after they got that big run. That it relaxed the players, and then they felt like they, from there, they could go and dominate. They had the lead. They were able to play their style of offense. Um, so, no, it doesn't make yeah. any sense. College football is not transitive property. Yeah. It's, you know, and the fact that Kansas State struggled with Southern Illinois the very next week, I mean, there's, it's just weird, but sometimes things just work out. Like, Stanford had a great game plan. Like, David Shaw, I think, coached poorly against Kansas State. I mean, they were running clock. They were down the entire game, and they still used like the entire play clock the whole way, like they were, like they were ahead. And they can do that against USC, and they only ran fifty-four plays or something. But you had the lead the whole time. They ran the same kind of stuff, but they were down, and they needed to press, and they weren't. And they had two quarterbacks, and yeah, I don't think he had a good game plan going in for Kansas State, but he had a great one uh, for USC. So it's just that's a week-to-week thing. Andrew on YouTube want to know which coaches left on the schedule do you think Clay Helton and staff can out scheme? I mean, they did it last year against Washington State, so we'll start there. Yeah, I mean that's Washington State again tried to play man coverage. Amon Ross St. Brown had four touchdowns in the first quarter. Yeah, Utah did the same thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but it's it's like a matchup thing. Like you know, I think David Shaw got completely outcoached one week and completely outcoached someone the next week. So I think it could just be, you know. Whatever it's it's a week of preparation. Every game is like different. It's like a different living being, you know. And it just it's going to be it's going to develop different. It's going to evolve differently. So yeah, I don't. It's hard to say that right now. I would say. Big T wanted to know. Uh, wouldn't will you know if Mike Bone in the athletic department admin got the message? I've never seen this much negative media and social media before. I haven't talked to anyone over there yet. I mean, I've talked to like people that aren't the big decision makers, and you know, they're they have levels of frustrations that are pretty high. Um, yeah, I mean, I think those guys take a lot of pride in what they've done. I mean, they fixed things that we didn't know were broken. You know, like I think Keely talked about they didn't have the right groundskeepers doing Howard Jones Field, just like the regular people that did cut it the was, grass. It was campus grass cutters, yeah. basically. So if you, you cut the grass in front of the library, you cut the football grass. Like that's that's the kind of stuff that was just like, are you serious? Like that would never happen in Alabama. They've had to fix a lot of that stuff. And you know, just even the lights. Um, I don't, maybe don't agree with every decision. Like, there's more DJ than band, which I'd like to see more band. But they've made the environment at the Coliseum better, and I'm sure they can tweak it. And I think the good thing is they're open to like if they come up with an idea and it doesn't work, 
they can back off of it. They don't just, they're not married to it. So the problem is I feel like the administration has done a lot of good things and they feel like, wow, we just, we've, we've put this on a tee for Clay Helton to knock it out of the park. And then when you swing and miss, I think it's, you know, I'm not there. I'm not one of them, but you feel like it's kind of demoralizing. Like, man, I did all this work. I, I set it up. Like you led the horse to water and the damn thing won't drink, you know? And it's just like, so yeah, I, I feel like they take this stuff personally. Um, and curious to see what their reaction is going to be to this. Mm-hmm. I'm actually going to jump into callers. We've had a full queue all Again? night long, and I'm really sorry. We've actually had to turn away 42 people who called. Whoa. Yeah. A lot of callers tonight. Sorry, so, people. Like, sorry about that. But thanks to everyone who has held on. Let's go to the first caller in the queue. It's Hugh from Simi Valley. Hello. You're live on Tunnel Vision. Well, thank you for taking the call, and I appreciate what you guys do because without your you guys being there with our ability to vent, we're just going absolutely out of our mind. Um, can you <laughs> tell therapists. me what you what you were told about the uh, uh, the administration's reasons for deciding to kill tribute to Troy? I can't imagine a dumber decision. Well, yes, I can, but that that leads the list right now. What's, what was the reason for that? Uh, yeah, I talked to some people there a little bit. It's definitely about trying to, you know, be competitive in the college football landscape. Um, it's, you know, you need to, you know, they're trying to get a better environment in the Coliseum and college football is changing. I think that was the, uh, you know, I, paraphrasing from the people that I've talked to, I know, talk to people, the band that weren't, uh, really happy about it. It was weird because they would play like kind of DJ music and I, I'm a traditionalist. I like when they play another one bites the dust after a sack or, um, and I think that's just part of the thing. I remember going to like Arizona state games 10, 15 years ago. And I was like, wow, this feels like an NFL stadium where like they're always playing music and your USC games are always playing the band stuff. So I think they're, I think that's one of those things they can probably tweak. The tribute to Troy thing is like, that's a tradition. That's like, you know, David Shaw was playing that at their practices. Cause you're going to hear it so often. And they played it sort of a weird time. I think, I think cause it's, if you force like a second or, or third down or fourth down, they would play Tribute to Troy, but then they did some kind of DJ music. But then, like, Stanford got a first down and they played Tribute to Troy because that was, like, a time that the DJ wasn't going to play. And it, something wasn't quite right there. Um, and I, I agree with you. I like the Tribute to Troy stuff, but we'll see. I think they're going to still tweak some stuff. But a lot of the changes, I think, were cool. Like, definitely the the night, you know, the, the blackout kind of thing was neat. Mm-hmm. I'll play devil's advocate and say the DJ definitely had the student section they were hyped up, up before they all came early. They were, you yeah. know, they were rowdy. I don't know what happens during the game. Keely can attest that I don't ever he pay hear attention. anything. I it's so weird. He's zoned in on taking his pictures. And stuff. I guess. Yeah. I don't, I don't there was, notice. I mean, the student environment, like sometimes it's pretty, you know, it's kind of chill. Like the DJ gets, you know, gets, I'm not a huge DJ guy, but it's definitely firing up the students. And, you know, I think there's, I think they're going to try to figure that out. Like, hey, we're going to do a little bit more of this, but we don't want to ruin the band. And I don't think they want to ruin band traditions. But I don't think they want to. No. Um, so I feel like that, you know, they'll they'll still figure this out and see what's going to work best. I think they're trying to figure out the balance and yeah. how to also have a modern stadium environment. And so they're trying to figure it out. So. Yeah. Getting the student section involved is really big yeah. because they're the rowdiest, they're the noisiest, um, and it's pretty expansive when when they give them enough room. So well, they also have that uh, grad package. Is If you were a 2020 grad, you can also have oh, like nice. a student section. Nice. About that. So that's why it's like a, it's expanded. As, it's as good of a student section as I've seen mm-hmm. in a long time. So yeah. that's that's credit there because it's better. Yeah. 
Uh, Facebook and YouTube, if you want to have some final rapid-fire questions after I'm done getting through some callers, be sure to do so right now. We've gotten so many questions today. I've got seven pages already of questions. So yeah. Well, that's why I'm not looking at the camera, guys, for the most part. I'm trying to Shotgun's pull all these questions in for We're never going to get to those. <laughs> yeah. There's Alrighty. certain ones. They're, they're, okay. they're bolded for her hey, to Hey, we to have know. a whole system, Ryan. <laughs> uh, let's go to Sean from Fullerton. Hello. You're live on television. Howdy. Well, listen, I, obviously I've been able to hear while I'm waiting, but uh, I, I think the decision makers do know. Everybody knows at this point. Mm -hmm. Everybody gets it. The question I have for you, just is it just that they announced that Clay's not coming back? Is that the magic? Is that what makes a difference? And if so, A, do you really need an interim coach? If everybody knows Clay's not coming back, what difference does it make if he stays? You're not going to retool the offense. You don't have the ability to put in a new offense in the middle of the season. You know, you're not going to get rid of Orlando and his guys. So do, do you put a Sean Snyder as the temp coach and just allow him to roll up the season? Or do you just let him stick around, just make the announcement so everybody knows and you can start your search? And kind of part two, because we've been around our fan base too long, does anyone have the patience to actually wait unless we're hiring somebody currently not employed? that most of these guys aren't available to start taking these calls that we would want until probably December or late December. And if by chance they're NFL guys and they're any good, they're not available until January. So, you know, where do you, where do you go once you make the announcement, even if you make it early? I mean, I think it's an interesting good point. Um, yeah, I like, I like it. Um, as far as, you know, Clay's been around a long time. If you're like, hey, you know, we and, and Clay is the kind of person that would do that. I think there's coaches that would be like, I'm out. And I think Clay would coach out. Like Ed Orgeron? Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, and I he was done dirty if you read the, the book. But but he, that was that's exactly what happened. Right. Um, I don't think this would be doing Clay dirty. Uh, like he's had many, many chances. But I think Clay would be the kind of person to be like, you know what? You know, I, I want to be the head coach. Uh, I don't I agree with your decision, but I will coach out the rest of the year and I'm going to like fight my hardest. I think he would definitely be uh, open to doing that. So that's a, that's an interesting point. Yeah, you could do that. But if you want to try to turn the season around, you make the change, you cut off the, the head of the snake, and then you try to put a replacement in there and try to change the environment. And hopefully that one, someone has an interim changes you know, makes sees some issues and makes some changes. That's what you would hope for, and you hope that things change, like it did for Ed Orgeron that season after they fired Lane Kiffin. It's like he made some changes, and those changes were really well accepted by the players. They played for him. That's what you would hope for in, in making someone if you make the decision early, like just putting out a press release and saying, "No, we're not going to do that." That doesn't really make so much sense to me. But the early thing too is you do get started on the process. Like if you wanted a Luke Fickle or you wanted a Matt Campbell or whatever it is, like you can start the agent process then and be like, "Okay, see who's available." Yeah, you don't have to actually wait until December to talk no, to anyone. Yeah. There's all the back channel stuff happening. But if you know you're making a change, the earlier you do it, the the better chance you have of getting somebody that I you mean, want. They yeah. might be making back channel talks they, right now. Yeah, they yeah. could have been for the last know. two years for all we yeah. know. And also from the point of view of the new admin, firing early would set 
the tone as to we understand what the fans want. We understand we're not tone deaf. We know that we're going to do things differently rather than, I mean, it's not a guarantee that everyone knows, oh, he'll be fired. How many times have we talked about this? How many seasons have we talked about this? And then he's come back, you know? So I think that would be from the the new admin's perspective, you'd want to set the tone. You want to, you want like some flag waving thing. You want the, you know, you want to make people happy. Like USA, you just go up there like, come on America. Yeah. Everyone goes crazy. Like, yeah, you say we're firing Clay Helton. People are going to go bananas. You know, like they what will. What analogy was that? <laughs> you know, just like if you're like speaking to, you know, he just, just made Clay Hilton sound like the boogeyman, and you didn't even notice. She's yeah. like, he just keeps coming back, <laughs> like it's well, like Jason mean, in the movie. I didn't mean it like that. I just meant in the sense. It that, is like, like Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Yeah, yeah. like uh, how is he Jason, still alive? This doesn't a, make any sense. Okay, I didn't mean it like that. I was still just saying. Cabin, yeah. I was just saying. Okay, let's go it's to our Teflon final. Teflon or whatever. We put all the different analogies people say. Our final caller in the queue. It's Matt from Kentucky. Ooh, Kentucky. Hello, you're live on Tunnel Vision. Hey, guys. I'm actually originally from Sacramento. My grandfather was an All-American at SC, won a national championship. So I'm true and true, fight on. Very cool. Uh, I absolutely absolutely do believe that this week is the most important game because I thought, I'm curious to your guys' thoughts on two things. One, I thought Keenan Slovis has played – he needs to step up as a leader on the field. Like he's just going through the motions, and I think the quarterback is the one that could change it too. I think at this team responds to Helton this week. If they come out PO'd and they have some pride, I think this is the most important because it's going to show you if they – because I thought they kind of quit. I really did. The effort was uh, – and, and to me, lastly, I think – and Urban Meyer said this a couple years ago, and I think Oregon's done a good job. But I think it's where the Pac-10 is, and I'm out in SEC land. The biggest difference right now, and USC used to never be pushed around. My grandfather was a lineman. Our linemen right now, physicality, we don't match up. And a couple of years ago when Ronald Jones was there and we blew Stanford right off the field is because our offensive line basically put all their defensive line on the bus. And I feel like it's been a long time since SC, since Carroll was here, that we've pushed people around on both lines, interior, both offense and defense. And Appreciate you guys. I know we're all frustrated, but you know we fight on, and that's why we're gonna. That's why we're gonna be on top soon. Take care. Thanks for the question. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, very cool, Matt. Um, so, a few things could happen. USA goes to Washington State. They lose, blowout by a point, whatever. It becomes, you know, that's just another nail, right? So that's important. If USC wins like a clunker, and they're like, ah, they beat, you know, beat them by six. Like, how important is the game? They blow them out. Maybe if it's important, it's like okay, USC's back. But you know, Washington State already lost to Utah State on that field. So I, I don't know. You know, outside of getting another loss, that's sort of like that's a result. I think that would end up being important. I don't think a win in Pullman is going to end up being all that important. I don't know. Shotgun. I mean, I would agree with that. Um, what you would want to see is that the team comes out and plays really crisp. And, you know, if the ball bounces the wrong way, you, you end up winning by 10 or 15 um, instead of it being a true blowout, I think that's still okay. But just need to see the ball, see the team playing crisp. That's something we haven't seen. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to our final rapid-fire questions for the night. Let's Thanks try. for everyone who's been engaging in the show. We Big appreciate show. you guys. Yeah. Like- 560 people live on people, people are watching and we appreciate Crazy. it yeah hit the like button people thank yeah, you yeah hit the like button please uh big t said from everything we've heard from you guys and others john jackson the third should be getting more run where is he 
standing on the sideline with the other receivers <laughs> that aren't getting in. And someone uh, someone later said uh, that if I said that there was more rotation, there was, and said if that's more rotation, then you know the only reason Kyle Ford got in was because London. Well, Gary Bryant got in. Taj, there was more guys moving in and out of the game. Now, could they expand that? Yes, they still could. Do they need to? I think yeah, it's it was better than last week. So the, the rotation was better than last week. Now we'll see if they continue that or you know what kind of changes. But John Jackson is a guy who has proven himself in in camp and in practice. So I don't know why he doesn't get an opportunity to prove himself in the game. I think Kyle Ford got that opportunity and look what he did. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. That's the thing those guys want. Like just give me a chance to prove myself. And if I can't do it in the game, then you know maybe I understand you you putting me on the bench. But yeah. if you don't give me a chance, how do you? you I want to see what the targets are. Well, the interesting thing just... too, Shotgun, is you talked to Seth Daigie about how John Jackson in particular is just a very consistent mm-hmm. option, and consistency has been an issue we've seen this year so far with the wide Great receivers. Point. Why not at least give him a chance? Great point. I mean, he's a guy that you know exactly what he's going to do, so you don't have to worry about him. He's going to line up right every time. He's going to run the right route every time, so you don't have to have any of those issues that you really were having some issues with. Um, you know, especially this game, a little bit the first game. So, it seems like that would be a guy like when we need to calm things down. I know they're still looking for the explosive plays, but when we need to calm things down and you know get back to get centered, then put him in there you know, to pick up a first down or whatever. And then if you need to go and you want to try to get the explosive, then you sub somebody else in, you know, later in the drivers. I don't know. It seems like a very good option that has not been utilized. Yeah, they had yeah. six receivers targeted. So, I mean, they got they got more guys involved than the, the first game for sure. Yeah, there was only two targets outside of London and Washington to wide receivers the first game. Yeah. And they also rotated the tight ends a little bit more this game, I thought, too. Lamont wanted to know, uh, what was going on with the linebackers last night? I don't remember any linebacker making a play. That's two games in a row. Kanai Malga had yep. one big hit in the first quarter on um, on Love. Who's their running back? Sorry, Jones. Jones, yeah. Bryce Love reference? I was thinking Austin Love. I, <laughs> I had the first name right. Oh. Um, but, yeah, that seemed about it. I mean, Kanai had some glorious, beautiful flow going last night with his hair down at the back, but there wasn't a lot of playmaking being made by the linebackers. And they used some different guys to a CB Nomura was in for one package where they had six D linemen or outside linebackers, two linebacker, I mean, uh, and two right middle linebackers. And then, like, Chris Thompson was on the field at the same time. That was their big package for the heavy stuff that Stanford was running. So they mixed some guys in there. But there was no one consistently making plays. And I don't know what the tackles looked like, but it, I don't okay. Where's the linebacker at in that group? Um, like, Thule led the team in tackles. Greg Johnson, Isaac. Yeah, yeah so yeah, let's where's see. It? Tua CV had four. Yeah, he was the highest. And he um, might have had one or, one of those on special yeah, teams Mount too. Had so. four. Go forth had four. Yeah, um, yeah. It did you know Raymond Scott only had one one assist? Like oh. that's the uh, I don't know how many plays he did, but Raymond Scott was in and out though. It's interesting. Yeah. It looked like he was hurt, but apparently he was fine. That's just different packages that they yeah. had for this game. So Adam said, "At what point do we have an honest conversation about Keaton Slovis not developing as we thought?" It's not even just, you know, the question's always been around USC is like, it's not just not developing, but regressing. And, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's a legitimate, like, what's going on? Like, was it the offense? Was it him? Was it the, I don't know. But he's, you know, I think he looks like a, still looks like a good quarterback, but something overall in the offense, I'm not saying it's slow. I don't think if you put in Jackson Dart, the offense is now clicking. Like, that's, I, I feel like this is more of a, 
problem with the offense than with the who the quarterback is. And maybe someone like Dart, maybe someone that's athletic just that makes plays. You remember Sam Darnold when he was in a gumbo offense that didn't have any kind of rhythm to it. He just made plays on his own. Uh, you know, if you have a quarterback that can do that, then maybe the offense would work better. But I'm not putting a lot of this on Keaton's slower, you know, on shoulders, I guess. But He's having some trust issues. I think that's why it's taking him a little bit of time to progress through his reads because he's looking for London because that's the guy he trusts. And the other guys, not so much. So I think that's part of it. But, again, something the offense needs to get ironed out. they got to figure it out. Steven wanted to know, in the loud media landscape that we live in, do you think the noise from Keyshawn, LA Times, Arash Markazi, and others will put pressure on Mike Bone? I mean, it all yeah. does. I mean, if you read, I mean, Bill Plasky just basically just thrashed Helton uh, in his story. But, you know, everyone, I mean, there was like three articles in the LA Times about it. One about, you know, what, what did Matt Leinart say? What did Keyshawn Johnson say? I mean, I got texts from former USC greats, you know, they're on, I mean, there is definitely pressure, you know, and I think you can hear that. You're in the administration, you hear it, and, you know, some of the stuff you can, like, sort of write off or whatever. It's like, well, the pandemic year and all this stuff. It's loud and clear now. And, yeah, I don't think it's anything that the administration can ignore. I'm not saying that they're going to, like, hey, Keisha Johnson said we got to make a move. That's what we're going to do. But it's sort of just, you know, it's it, you're just throwing stuff onto the pile, I guess, at this point. there's There's a lot of evidence there. Mark Watkins wanted to know, uh, they squib, quit, squib kicked on the opening kickoff, costing them a bigger turn and their kicker. After having six touchbacks on seven kickoffs last week, what was the logic behind that? I don't think it was intentional. I don't think it was intentionally a squib kick. I think it was Parker didn't kick it right. Yeah. Didn't get a good kick in. So I'm and I'm a big Sean Snyder guy, um, which sort of lends me to believe there's there's bigger issues going on around USC because I think he's a really good special teams coach. I'm giving them below average grades for two weeks in a row now with little things. They weren't giving up, you know, the huge plays, but they give up four points by going off sides on a on a field goal. I mean, that's a, don't go off sides on a field goal. It wasn't it, even going off off sides. It was lining up. Lining up off sides. So there's been, you know, fair catch at the five. There's been punt return issues. Um, Returning from the one-yard line. Yeah, there's so twice in a row. Things are like, and I think Sean Snyder is a really good coach, but what, is there a bigger problem around him that, it's going. I don't know, but I'm, I'm giving them below average grades two weeks in a row, and I didn't expect to to do that after they played pretty well last year under him. And a partially blocked punt. Yeah. Kevin wanted to know on YouTube is if USC beats Oregon and UCLA, will this buy Helton more time? They've got to get to UCLA and Oregon first. They don't even yeah. play Oregon. In yeah, they don't play Oregon. Well, so. I think he's assuming the Pac-12 championship. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Clayton goes eleven and one and wins the Pac-12. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't. I think, but that for what we saw Saturday, like that is not going to happen. Um, the you team can, that played on Saturday will not go eleven one. Right? Will Maybe there be a different team that comes out on Saturday this week? We'll see. There would be some wholesale, you know, major changes and buy-in and all of that going on if that happens on the team and they run the table and they beat Utah and Arizona State on the road and an improved UCLA team and then Oregon in the championship game. Yeah, like I don't think Clay Helton's going to go anywhere, but. Uh, I mean, outside of that, I don't think there's they they have a choice but to get rid of them. And if they did that, I think that would be a good coaching job. If they turn it around he, from what we saw on Saturday to go eleven and one, that we just haven't seen him job. do that. We've yeah. seen them like sort of like stick to your guns. Like this is one of those things where you're like, okay, we got to start over. Like you know, we were down at the uh, Cotton Bowl when USC played um, Ohio State, 
And I remember Keeley and Dan were just like on the sidelines going like, look at that defensive line for Ohio State. And a bunch of those dudes won the NFL. Oh, yeah. And they just got just pushed around. And that score could have been way worse. And you're like, okay, well, you got to make a change on the offensive line, right? And and Clay Hilton did it and stuck with Neil Calloway. And you're like, okay, so that just kind of puts you back. So we haven't seen – and I, Clay Hilton was asked in the press conference yesterday about making changes. And um, he's like, it's game two, you know? So – that, what that tells me is they're not going in and just ripping up the game plan and going, all right, here's what we're going to do now. We're doing this different. They're going to do the same stuff. So they'll play good some weeks and, and get some good wins, and they're going to lose some other games. So, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. We had a question on Facebook uh, wondering if you were the coaches, would you consider rotating more at cornerback? I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't think Jaden Williams was even available for this game, so that was one option. Josh Jackson – he gave up the touch. He was the one that lined up all sides and then gave up the touchdown. So and he came in when Chris Steele messed up, right? So when Chris Steele got the penalty, yeah. um, and then Steele came in later in that drive when Isaac Taylor Stewart got the penalty, <laughs> and then Josh Jackson was the third guy, so he needed to get a penalty, right? <laughs> I mean, we can't. I think ITS's helmet came off too, and that's when Steele came back in. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think they need to do more. I think okay. I think that's good. Like if you get something like that, take them off the field. I think they did that, but the people that came in kind of screwed up too. Yeah, I don't. I mean, unless you're putting in a true freshman this year, right, or Prophet Brown, there's not a ton of options there at the cornerback position that are healthy. Yeah, but I, I don't mind playing those guys. But it, that's like then you get into a redshirt thing and everything too. So The thing is that Chris Steele and Isaac Taylor Stewart are perfectly capable. They just need to play better. Yep. They didn't play good this game. They need to play better. Eric said, Trojan fan here in North Georgia. Love the show. After Saturday night, you guys are the therapy uh, we long-suffering Trojan fans need. Any chance Keaton Slovis gets benched if offensive woes continue? No. I don't know. Really? Yeah. I mean, okay, Graham Harrell loves him some Keaton Slovis. Like, they are buds. I don't think that's changing. We've seen it before, though. That's been the move under Clay Helton. It's happened twice now. Uh, what was the other time? Sam Darnold? Who was the other Sam, one? Well, I would, I guess, I feel like JT Daniels kind of saw the writing on the wall, but. Oh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was injury, but. Sure. I mean, I yeah, I feel like, no. I, I mean, that's just my personal opinion. He Unless he's hurt, he's not getting benched. But I don't know if you guys, you guys can definitely have a different opinion. But I think. Oh, the, can we? Sure. <laughs> I, you're allowed. <laughs> I think the bigger the thing, issue that I have is that I feel like fans automatically want to go to the quarterback change to just like yeah. be a Band-Aid. And if that's something that you keep having to say in the Clay Hilton era, it's like there's bigger issues than just the quarterback, you know? Yeah, I think that's just one of those things where it's like you're at the restaurant and like the meal is terrible. You're like, ah, let's get different napkins. You're like, no, like that, I don't think that's going to fix things. Like, yeah, maybe the napkins weren't great. Uh, I, I don't think this is a Keaton Slovis problem. I don't think Jackson Dart's going to fix this. I think Keaton Slovis is their best option. Yeah. You know, when Max Brown was struggling, you could look at it and be like, Sam Darnold might be a better option. I don't think Jackson darts that out uh, yeah. answer. Um, not right now in his uh, career. You know, there's still there's mistakes that he has made at times in fall camp that you wouldn't want to see in a game. Yeah. Alrighty, guys. Let's wrap this one up. It's 8.37. Thank you to everyone who watched and tuned in, called everything. We appreciate you guys. Final thoughts, guys. We'll be back on Thursday to preview USC's matchup against Wazoo. Shock and I will be traveling to Pullman. So look out for our coverage there. But final thoughts, guys, before we wrap this one up. Well, th first, thanks, everyone. Uh, it's been a crazy 24 hours. Uh, yeah, I like, got to bed at 4.30 in the morning, which normally like Shotgun does every day, but that's not <laughs> normally me. 
Um, I ate dinner at four thirty last night. <laughs> so I mean, it was fun. It was fun to kind of do the emergency podcast. Just in you know, in my home office, do all that stuff. That was cool. But I was really looking forward to this. I was exhausted. I did like a, a bike ride, like charity thing today, and I was just like wiped out. But I was like. Once this came, I had like Diet Coke. I'm fired up. So thank you. I'm glad that we got a whole bunch of people in here. Uh, you guys have been, I mean, it's, this makes, you know, I love doing what I do. I'm, you know, thankful and grateful that I get to like, you know, work in college football and cover a team. And, but having the people that we have, the callers and the, Interacting the, the with you it's guys. so like, it just makes it so much cooler. So we love that you're a part of it. And uh, thank you guys all for, for being there. I know it's been crazy. I've always been happy. But the fact that you keep coming back, it, it, I do appreciate it. Mm -hmm. Shadi, final thoughts. Take us out. I want to end on a positive note. <laughs> that was positive. Yeah. It was, yeah. I'm from the game. <laughs> okay. There were some small positive things. Uh, Darwin Barlow getting in and scoring a touchdown. Like Michael that. Trigg getting his first catch. Um, I thought the atmosphere there. It was my first game back. Because uh, I've been stuck in quarantine and all, you know, the first game back with the fans in two years now, basically. Yeah. So it was a great atmosphere. I was so amped up at the beginning of the game. There was a ton of recruits there. So USC's doing their part on that side. Can they fix the stuff on the on the field stuff? That's going to be the big question. Hopefully they can because even though we love all these high numbers that we get when these shows, because someone asked, uh, is this the most viewers we've had? And I think we had more after the UCLA loss. We had the most when uh, Bone announced in 2019 Clay that was coming Clay back. Was we had like over a thousand people, I think online or something crazy. We had like a hundred callers at the same time. It was <laughs> yeah. so weird. So we love those high numbers, but we would much rather see a, well-oiled product you know it's yeah. just more fun to watch it's more fun to cover when you know when teams are competing at their highest and that's what this team is not doing right now yeah. so hopefully they can turn things around there but did want to point out the atmosphere was great the fans were great it was great everyone that was shouting out to Keely and I from the, the stands love hearing from you guys yeah. Yeah. so much fun um, and Solomon Tulial Pupu also got in yeah that was the other one I wanted to point oh, out oh I forgot okay yeah. so he got in at the very end um, and so him and Trigg First, first completion, Barlow getting in the first time. So a couple guys that could be big time contributors for USC in the future, getting their first opportunities. Yeah, mm -hmm. he didn't get a stat or anything, but cool for him. He was in a like punt, I think, or some oh, yeah. okay. punt yeah. return or something. But nice. good to see, nonetheless. Yeah, huge, huge. Alrighty, that's gonna wrap it up for this week's Sunday night show. That's Ryan. That's Shaka, and I'm Keely. We'll be back on Thursday to preview USC's matchup against Wazoo. We'll see you next time. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does. <laughs> Nine over eight. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.